We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Don't want to go backwards, though, to get the ball. Good job. Job. Crowder for the win. Oh boy, was this a great two weeks for Suns fans, Sam, Chris Paul, and then some. Welcome to the Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast. I'm really, really excited to talk about the Suns, and I think that excitement is now going to carry over into the entire season because the Suns are putting together a squad. Sam, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm very good. Um, I was very nervous. (laughs) yeah (laughs) yesterday yeah you started Um, to break down a little bit i think (laughs) (laughs) well um we had we had gotten to the points well so first of all you remember after we uh took jalen smith our draft episode last week we said this is a tight-lipped organization not a lot uh seeps out through the cracks and then sure enough come free agency guys start this wasn't a bad thing it was never you know, when you say I broke down, I, I always recognize <laughs> the situation. Um, it, it's never a bad thing to wait. 
And, you know, to wait on day one and watch some of the guys fly off the shelves for really overpaid contracts. However, Mm -hmm. we started to approach that point where it was yesterday, Saturday. It was the beginning of day two of free agency. And I was getting nervous because I was like, okay, well, at this point, you know, like this guy's gone and, and this guy's gone and we only have a few options left. And, and, and throughout the entire time, I was like, okay, if we get Jay Crowder, it's okay. If we get Jay Crowder, it's okay. If we don't get Jay Crowder, then we're kind of, we're kind of fucked. And we got Jay Crowder. So yeah. congratulations, Suns fans. We got Jay Crowder yeah. to a fantastic, fantastic deal. I Three so years, too. $30 million, yeah. um, our full mid-level exception. Uh, amazing. What do you have to say about it? <laughs> it? It's it's the most that you could have offered him, I think. And I think they did that for the right reason because of the way the market unfolded. And I think for those listening, because things changed so rapidly, right now we are recording uh, after Jay Crowder and Javon Carter has signed. As of this moment, we have not yet heard about Dario Saric or Aaron Baines. So we are not sure exactly what the plan is going forward. The Suns also have an opportunity to extend Elliot Coba. We're just going to assume that doesn't happen. Um, but for right now, Jay Crowder, Javon Carter are on the Phoenix Suns. And specifically, Jay Crowder chose the Suns over some good teams. Like he had the opportunity to return to Miami. He could have played in Dallas. He could have played on the Clippers. Those are the teams that had the opportunity to sign him. Now, there's a chance the Suns just offered him more money. I think that negotiations probably got to a point with all three of those teams where he probably had his choice of the MLE. No reporting here, just an expectation of looking at the market and seeing how it went. And I think this is the pull of a guy like Chris Paul. I think there's no chance he would probably be on the Suns right now with Chris Paul. And I think, and I know you agree with this, Sam, I think that maybe I wouldn't be as excited about Jay Crowder without Chris Paul because... We talked about guys that have what we refer to on this podcast as Ariza potential. And that means guys who are maybe a little later in their career that want to get a big contract relative to the point of their career that they're in. And then maybe coast a little bit after that. And I think maybe without Chris Paul, I'd be terrified of that happening on the Phoenix Suns. But with Chris Paul, I'm not really that worried about that. Do you agree with that? I 100% agree with that. And I think, um, yeah, I 100, 1,000% agree with that. If you just look at what Jay Crowder did um, with Memphis in the first half of the season, right? This is a guy who we can honestly say has a reputation for doing the Ariza thing. Um, he he tries hard when he has something to play for. Um, and so you look at his first half of this season with Memphis, Grizzlies fans do not like this guy. It's because he started 45 games for them this season, He shot 37% from the field, 29% from three-point range. He averaged less than 10 points per game for them. Then he goes to Miami and all of a sudden is one of the key role players uh, in a deep, deep finals finals team. Um, A finals team, uh, you know, not locking down, but a guy whose primary defensive assignments were guys like Giannis and and Jason Tatum and and LeBron and Anthony Davis even in the finals. Um, So a guy who played a very pivotal role Key thing, though, when he had something to play for. And so to bring a guy in like Jay Crowder, there's a reason I didn't cover him when we were doing our uh, free agent scouting series on our YouTube channel. Um, And that's kind of because, A, um, the entire time I thought it was very likely that Miami would actually want to re-sign him. Obviously, I was wrong about that. But B, I thought that this was a guy who's, at the time, I'm talking a couple months ago, was not one of my favorite targets because I thought, well, he needs something to play for. Um, We need a different veteran 
uh, to 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 bring in. He can't be like the main veteran, a la Ricky Rubio, um, to kind of set the tone. Right. Um, now that Chris Paul's here, yeah, he's a fantastic acquisition, um, and he will try on this team. Um, and and rest assured, he will have an impact on this team as well. Yeah, and I think so. The conversation now, I think, at some point, is going to shift to does he start or not. My first thought is that he does start because he's my a first veteran. thought is he doesn't choose the Phoenix Suns over teams like the Clippers and and the Mavericks right. if he doesn't have the opportunity to start. Yeah, but I will say I don't think that uh, James Jones or Monty Williams told him, "Hey, you're going to start." I think that they probably say something like, "You'll have the opportunity to start on the Phoenix Suns because." I think you don't want to guarantee a starting spot to anybody. You want them to compete for it. And we know that that's something that Monty and James Jones do because they've talked about it before. That's something that they've said before. But I do think he does start, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Time and time again on this podcast, you and I, Sam, talked about the best possible fits around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And when we talk about the best possible fits around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, you want guys who are plus defenders at their position. And now we have, around those two guys, three plus defenders at their position. You have in the starting lineup, just to say it, Chris Paul, obvious plus defender, even as he ages. By the way, later in this episode, we're going to have an excellent interview with our friends from the OKC podcast called The Uncontested, breaking down Chris Paul's game. We're going to get deeper into what he looks like now. But a plus defender, Mikhail Bridges could be one of the best wing defenders, perimeter defenders in the NBA next season. And if he adds some strength, he could even really pester some guys that are bigger than him. And then Jay Crowder, a legitimate power forward, uh, even at 6'6", or whatever he's listed at, he's a legitimate power forward because of his strength and his defensive ability. I actually think Mikhail Bridges is still the best defender on the team for the record, but the type of versatility that someone like uh, Jay Crowder brings, you talked about it. I think the two guys that you mentioned in the playoffs already, besides LeBron, are Giannis and Tatum. Those guys could not be more different, completely different guys, and Jay Crowder has the defensive versatility to guard both of them. He can keep up with Jay Crowder on the perimeter and on drives to the rim, and he can absorb the hits that come with a Giannis drive to the rim because that's all where he can score. And I think that type of versatility matters in the starting lineup. And that's the type of thing, it's the reason why as much as Jay Crowder can be considered inconsistent in the regular season, that versatility and the ability to hit the shots, and we should talk about his offense, uh, is why he continually gets minutes in the postseason. And I, I think more than anything else, you look at this as a postseason move. So I assume he's going to start. And I think the defensive versatility is the main reason why. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, so first of all, with respect to his defense, um, we did post an analysis video on our YouTube channel yesterday. Um, first of all, so many people have watched that. Um, so thank you. Um, I think it, it just shows how excited Suns fans are about this signing. Um, but go check it out. We talk about his defense. Um, and specifically about the defensive edge and toughness that he brings. And so, you know, I would compare this almost to like, it's like a P.J. Tucker-esque signing. Um, he's he's lighter at 235 pounds. Tucker is even a little bit bigger than that. You know, Crowder, I don't think, is a guy who you would really want to play uh, center 
for instance, but he brings the same sort of uh, defensive versatility to this roster, whereas Mikhail Bridges, you can sick Mikhail Bridges on uh, Luka Doncic or James Harden uh, on the perimeter, and he's just going to like break up plays and, and, and deflect um, outlet passes and, and stuff like that. But once you get him in the post, even for as long as Mikhail Bridges is with a 7-1, 7-2, whatever it is wingspan, um, he's just not strong enough yet to guard a guy like Giannis. And and if you if you need a guy to just go out there and take some hits um, and accept some bruises, Jay Crowder is that guy. Um, and he's gonna be he's gonna be the defensive. He's he's just gonna bring grit um, to this defensive uh, game plan like no one else on the roster currently can. Um, so I you know defensively it's fantastic. Overall, I think he checks a number of boxes that you kind of ideally want from any modern system player in that if you're going to bring in a guy who is a low usage player, because we know that that's what Jay Crowder is. He doesn't, he doesn't take a ton of shots. He's kind of in the Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson tier where he's not going to take away too many touches from either Chris Paul or Devin Booker, who are now the focal points of your, of your offense. Um, well then you want that guy to do a few things. Yes. Jay Crowder can shoot. Um, he's not a sharpshooter. I went into this in the video as well, but but he can absolutely shoot. He can shoot a little bit off movement even um, and, and out of some set plays. Um, but the other thing he can do that is very critical is he can make smart reads. He can play within a .5 system um, and he can dribble a tiny bit, not in the sense that he's a point guard at all. Um, but just to demonstrate that, I mean, this season he averaged two and a half assists to 1.1 turnovers per game, mm-hmm. which from a small forward just shows you, I mean, first of all, Kelly Oubre was never going to give you that. <laughs> I, and I'm being serious. You know, yeah. like, I, I think you may have been the one to point it out, but Crowder is kind of everything at the power forward position that you wanted Kelly Oubre to be, but kind of knew deep down that he couldn't be. And Crowder's going to make some of the reads that that Oubre never did. Yeah. Um, and Crowder's going to bring the def- He's He's just a little bit stronger. His base is literally thicker. You know, he's just, he's thick in a way that Kelly couldn't be. Kelly is sexy, <laughs> but Jay is thick. He's, he's and thick. He's not, you know, he's not going to go out there and posterize anyone. He's not going to be a flashy player. Um, but he's going to contribute uh, in all the possible ways, offensively and defensively, that, that a low-usage player possibly could. Um, and so for all those reasons, I mean, again, it's just for $10 million, when a guy like Jeremy Grant, who I love, by the way, um, but when a guy like Jeremy Grant is going out there and getting a $20 million offer... And you can get a guy who is ever so slightly marginally worse for half the price. Uh, it's a steal. Yeah, uh, I absolutely agree. But Sam, we got a Woj bomb. Uh, no way. <laughs> Again? A mid-podcast Woj bomb. This one's not huge. I'm going to tell you right now, get your Google ready. Uh, the free agent center, oh. Damian Jones has agreed to okay. a two-year deal with the Phoenix Suns. Damian Jones, who previously like played, uh, sort of, on the Golden State Warriors, uh, 10 games his first season, 15 games his second season, uh, 24 games his third season. Last year played in Atlanta uh, and played more significant minutes on a bad Atlanta team. Uh, this is likely a third string big. If you look at uh, Dario Saric returning, which I mean, maybe this could be an omen on whether or not he is. I don't necessarily think that right now. Uh, but if you look at it, I talked about it. I still think we needed sort of a third big uh, to potentially eat up some actual true center minutes because right now Jalen Smith, I tweeted about it, weighs less than Jay Crowder. Uh, Dario Saric, a center on offense, maybe might struggle on defense against certain centers 
Uh, I actually think Saric's strength is underrated um, in a lot of ways. But Damian Jones is now on the Suns. He doesn't shoot, which is actually a surprising signing because right now essentially everyone on the roster uh, shoots threes outside of DeAndre Ayton, which remains to be seen. Damian Jones doesn't. He's a guy, like last season in Atlanta, he averaged 68% from the field. Why? Well, because he shoots right at the rim. Uh, If you look at his shot chart, it's just going to be a glowing red circle right at the rim. Uh, Defensively, I'll be honest, I don't have a ton of great feel for uh, the type of player that Damian Jones is defensively, but I I think this is a signing that makes sense. Probably a, a vet minimum deal. Uh, for two years, it looks like. Actually, I don't know if the vet minimum can be signed for two years, but it's a short deal. Uh, not bad. Uh, Damian Jones, it's it's fine. Do you have any thoughts before we get back to Jay Crowder? Um, has it already been announced that it's a two-year deal? Yes. You see that? Oh, yeah, two-year deal. Yes. Okay, sorry. I'm looking at the <laughs> literally um, Woj bomb just broke. Um, here's the thing. He's 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 uh, he's just one of those very raw athletic types. I, I think it's kind of like a stronger Shek Diallo, like where Shek Diallo is kind of like the string bean, but he kind of played the four and the five. Damian Jones is a pure five. Um, he's 245 pounds. And also, by the way, seven four wingspan. Um, so mm. another guy that comes in very long. Um, James Jones clearly has a type. Um, can't shoot. He's going to roll. I'll tell you everything I know about him. He's going to roll to the rim. He can finish decently at the rim um, for some lobs. He's going to protect the rim uh, on the other side of the court, and he's going to use all six of his fouls. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a guy who (laughs) I don't think can play long stretches of time um, without getting into foul trouble. He's one of those guys where he started 27 games for the Hawks this year. And granted, the Hawks were a very bad team. But like he's one of those centers who can just get away with starting if you're only going to play him like 15 minutes and and he leaves the game with four fouls. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to think of an example of like we've definitely had guys like that on the Suns recently. Um, An example isn't immediately coming to mind. Um, but yeah, he's one of those guys. He he can give you Miles Plumley. <laughs> is that yeah? That Miles Plumley. Miles yeah. Plumley is a decent. He can give you yeah. Like he can start if DeAndre Ayton is missing time. You can get away with starting Damian Jones for a few games. He's not going to be good, um, but he's only going to give you like fifteen or twenty minutes, and he's going to get into foul trouble. But he he provides some toughness, and so I think it does kind of show an overall offseason strategy coalescing yeah. in that the Suns want as much toughness and, and grit as possible. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think I think it's a solid move. Here's a stat that I just looked up just now. Damian Jones uh, attempted 178 field goals last season in Atlanta. 95 of them were dunk attempts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's, that's the kind of player that he's going to be. Uh, don't expect anything outside of the rim. It's it's seventy one percent true shooting this year. Look yeah. at that. I mean, yeah, he's only taking shots in front of the rim, so so it makes a lot of sense and not a lot of attempts. And honestly, playing with Atlanta is is actually not the worst indication of the type of shots he'll probably get in Phoenix because Trey Young is one of the best passers in the league. Now he has Chris Paul and uh, Devin Booker. And those guys are going to attract a lot of attention from bigs in the mid-range area, which opens the dunker spots, as we hope for guys like DeAndre Ayton, obviously. Uh, that'll be the same for Damian Jones. I think this is a pretty good signing. Uh, we haven't seen the, the money yet, but I don't I don't hate it. It's it's As, Assuming it's not for the, the BAE. Yeah, that would be weird. <laughs> it would be weird if they spent like three and a half, four million dollars a year on this. Um, assuming it's just a veteran minimum. Yeah, great deal. Yeah. It's fine. 
<laughs> it's it it. I'd be surprised if he got a lot of minutes. Um, this is kind of the type of thing that you sign just in case Jalen Smith needs some time before he can play some minutes in the NBA, which is very possible. It's very possible. He's skinny. Uh, all right, cool. A mid pod Woj bomb, kind of fun there, Sam. Uh, but back to Jay Crowder. <laughs> I don't know exactly where we left off there. Uh, but I think it says something that the Suns are able to attract a free agent like that. I think when I looked at the market and when I was sort of analyzing like the market. Like Damian Jones? No, like Jay Crowder. <laughs> oh, got it. Damian Jones is easy. You can get Damian Jones. Uh, there's a lot of Damian Joneses in the world. Uh, Jay Crowder, uh, I think those are the types of guys that every team wants. Uh, it's exactly what you need. When you lose Kelly Oubre, and you talked about it, that's actually, I think, the last thing we, we talked about, the differences between Jay Crowder and Kelly Oubre. I'll be 100% honest with the people listening to this podcast. I think that Kelly Oubre is a much better player than Jay Crowder. Uh, but that's why you get Chris Paul. You have to trade good players to get great players. But I think that uh, Kelly Oubre's role was maybe a little too big for what he provided. And if you can shrink that role down a little bit more and get a guy like Jay Crowder now whose primary role will be to never lose focus on defense, I think that helps a lot. Some of the problems with Kelly Oubre, as good as he was and as good as he will be, was losing focus defensively. And I think a guy like Jay Jay Crowder, he knows his role. He's in the NBA because he doesn't lose focus defensively. So I think that's going to make a huge difference. Offensively, I think it's interesting because, look, I think we just talked about taking... Cameron Johnson out of the starting lineup. Cameron Johnson has a he's got a chance to be the best shooter on the Suns next season. I think he was last season a close uh between him and believe it or not Javon Carter who we'll talk about in a minute. Uh but Jay Crowder I think he still can hit that three. What he did in the bubble and what he did with Miami was absolutely miraculous. He was hitting some shots that he does not normally hit and he's not afraid to shoot them, shoot them, which I think is great personally. Uh, but that means that you might see some shots that you go, what is he doing? What is he doing? Well, his job is to shoot those shots. We want him to launch. That provides more spacing for Chris Paul, who can hit that mid-range, for Devin Booker, who can hit that mid-range or get to the rim, and for DeAndre Ayton, who's going to feast at the rim on this team next season. He's got to launch them when he catches them if he has space. Maybe yeah. that's going to be 35% and not 45%, exactly. but 35% <laughs> is fine for me because of what he provides um, outside of that. I looked I looked it up yesterday and again, and if you look at our video, I posted it there too. Um he shot 32.2% on catch and shoot threes last season overall combined between Memphis and Miami. That's not very good, you know, but but he can hit them when open and I would go out on a limb and say that Jay Crowder is about to get more open threes in the corner especially than any other player on the Suns next season. Um, Because Cam Johnson provides a certain amount of gravity to him, you know, especially if Cam Johnson's coming off the bench, there's going to be more defensive focus on him. But when it comes to Jay Crowder, he's going to be sharing a lot of minutes with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. You've got Chris Paul and and Devin Booker where you've got to stay glued to them, even in that mid-range area, because you know that they're two-level scorers. Um, With DeAndre Ayton, he's rolling to the rim, so you have to stay attached to him. He comes with his own gravity. If there's anything that the defense is going to be willing to concede, it's going to be, okay, you know, let tag on DeAndre Ayton, who's rolling to the rim, stay with stay with Booker and Paul, and now Jake Crowder's open to the corner. Um, So he's going to get, he's going to be the bailout option 
who gets all those open looks. And as long as he can hit those at like a 35% respectable clip, which is basically what Kelly Oubre was giving you as well. Yeah. Um, that's more than enough. And he's going to, he's going to be that guy. He's going to launch six or seven or eight threes a game. Yeah. And he's not going to hit all of them. Like he's not going to be a special shooter, right. but he's going to be a good enough shooter that um, if that's your, like if that's your last option on offense, that's your bailout option. Uh, you're more than willing to live with that. And and look too, I, I think it should be said that the circumstances in the bubble, as I've talked about, were very specific, and I think that that increased a lot of players' shooting abilities. His percentages went up. Uh, Cameron Payne shot fifty percent from three. Uh, Javon Carter was absolutely on fire for the entirety of the bubble. But there's a chance that a lot of these games also take place with no fans going forward. It's just an interesting calculation. Maybe you do believe, if you're James Jones or Monty Williams, that uh, the weird COVID circumstances could actually help his shooting performances a little bit more. Um, That could be interesting. An interesting thing to track. If he has a career year in shooting, there's a couple things you can attribute it to. The spacing that this team should provide with Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton. And then maybe the fact that he's playing in front of less fans, that could be something that you can attribute it to as well going forward. It wouldn't surprise me if he had a career year shooting outside of what he did in Miami, which is completely unsustainable. He could improve. I think he definitely could. Chris Paul's the one of the greatest playmakers of all time. I think that when I looked at the markets, I think that this was the perfect fit. I think you lose Kelly Oubre, you need to replace your wing depth a little bit. I did not personally like the deal that my that uh, Milwaukee gave DJ Augustine. If the Suns did it, it's justifiable because of how important a third guard is on this team, and we'll get into that a little later with our OKC friends. Uh, but I just think it's an overpay for DJ Augustine where at some point soon there's a chance that he just completely goes off of a cliff. Um, whereas wing depth, this is such a small role. Guard is important. Uh, so I like the deal a lot. Three years, $30 million. I think it's a great deal. I talked about it online too. Uh, Jeremy Grant got literally twice that money for the same amount of time. And these guys, their stats in the bubble, in the bubble, in the playoffs were essentially identical where actually Jay Crowder got more rebounds and got more assists with less turnovers, you know, and Jeremy Grant wants to create more for himself, which is a disaster for Detroit personally. And fundamentally you've got the same sort of player where like, you know, there were other wings who I liked in free agency. For instance, I love Justin Holiday. I've I've gone on the record saying that before. Um, and he signed for only six million dollars, so like that definitely caught my attention. Um, but Justin Holiday's a Mikhail Bridges clone. He's another two hundred fifteen pound guy who um hounds people on the perimeter really well. Um, but Jay Crowder is more in that Jeremy Grant tier. He's he's even better at it than Kelly Oubre. Again, he's more similar to PJ Tucker. He can handle the bigger assignments, and that was really something that the Suns needed um, to cross off their list. Yeah, and you know I think it's going to be a really really great fit. And I I'm just in general I think I have not yet been ex- as excited about a Suns team since Steve Nash is on the team, and I think that's a legitimate excitement that is founded. I think it's it's real, and I think by the end of this episode, a lot of you Suns fans are going to feel that way as well. Javon Carter also signed. Uh, on the Suns, three years. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but a relatively good deal for Javon Carter. We're not exactly sure if that's going to be using the biannual exception or not. I don't. Um, think it will got, not. I didn't think not. so. The Just biannual the is only two years. Yeah, that's um, exactly. And this was a three-year deal. So 
Uh, I'm obviously ecstatic to have Javon back. We've spent a lot of hours talking about him on this podcast, so we don't have to break down his game or anything, but what are your thoughts on that deal? Uh, yeah, I love it. Um, I really wanted to bring Javon back. Um, again, it only adds to the grit. I mean, just imagine, like, Javon... Just some of the lineup combinations you can have now, right? Like, you could have either Chris Paul or Devin Booker at the one, right? Someone to run the show and, like, command the offense. But then you could surround them with Javon Carter, Mikhail Bridges, and Jay Crowder at the wings. Yeah. And, like, just bring intensity and like full court press on every possession like if it, and still get a bucket because you still have an amazing score in either Chris Paul or Devin Booker on the court right um and and then you know you you have options at center too you could protect the rim with either DeAndre Ayton or Jalen Smith who can also space the floor um it's just there are some really amazing lineup combinations that Monty has uh to deal with now and and to speak more about Javon personally I mean he's just a great guy um always been a great interview uh, and I'm just happy to happy to see him be rewarded with that type of contract for a guy who I was initially, you know, when he initially came in and was supposed to be the guy that replaced D. Anthony Melton, who I love so much, um, I was skeptical. And maybe he doesn't have the same long arms and, and the same measurables as D. Anthony Melton, but he certainly has the heart. Yeah. Um. And and, has and maybe proven, a better shot. Absolutely a better shot. Absolutely a better shot. And and has proven himself, um, especially in the bubble, but even before then, that he's a guy who can have an impact. He's a culture guy. I think that's the main thing with Javon Carter. Obviously, he provides something on the court, but maybe his value will vary game to game depending on the matchups. But what he does is say somebody's being a little lazy on their defensive rotations. Well, now you put Javon in, right? Javon's going to show you why effort matters. He's the exact kind of guy that provides accountability for other guys on the team. And and yes, his role is limited, but he also defended Duncan Robinson, who's something like 6'8", and completely shut him down in the bubble. Like he's got defensive versatility depending on the player, as long as they're not going to back him down, which is going to be a problem anyway, because of his low center of gravity. Uh, he's got that versatility. I personally wanted a lifetime contract. I understand that those are not allowed within the CBA, <laughs> uh, but this is a we good scoured, deal. We scoured the CBA yeah, exactly. uh, to see if we could find an, a lifetime exception. But yeah, alas. couldn't find one, couldn't find one. Uh, but this is a good deal for him, and, and I'm very, very happy uh, for him to stay on the team. Before we switch over to our friends from the Uncontested Podcast, Sam, looking at the market now, the Suns have their BAE. I think the obvious hole right now is you can add more wings, which I do think they should try to do, but we're going to talk about it soon. Uh, three guards, I think, help with a Chris Paul team. And we talked about the problems we had last season the offense fell apart a little bit with Ricky Rubio on the floor and Devin Booker not, which will not be a problem this year in the same way. But you still need another guy. Is there any names that stood out on the free agency market for you when you looked at it? Because right yeah, now so I'm not the, very excited. Here's the thing. The BAE is, is is small money to begin with. You're talking three and a half million dollars. It's not, you know, so temper your expectations. There are definitely guys out there who they could pick up that I think for that price would be good. Um, they need a third guard. I mean, I if we can't make the George Hill thing work as a trade, which I think we can't, it's very unlikely that that happens. I guess in free agency at this point, I mean, now that Teague's off the table, Augustine's off the table, um, you've got a guy like a guy like Shabazz Napier. I've always liked at point guard, but I don't think he's he's really that much of an upgrade over campaign. Um, yeah, exactly. I think your best 
I think your best bet at this point, like Jordan McRae, um, he's a guy that I've tweeted about. He's a guy that I like for that price because, and, and let me explain why. He was a guy, he averaged, uh, he didn't play a full season. I think he only played about 37 games, mostly with Washington. Um, but he averaged about 11 points, three rebounds, two assists per game. Um, he's primarily a two, but he's a smaller two who can play the one a little bit. And, and in fact, Suns fans should be familiar with him because back when we were really, really, really bad a few years ago, I think he came in and played on a 10-day contract once. Um, but that was that was before he kind of found any level of success at the NBA level. Now, a few years later, he's a guy who can create for himself a little bit, not in the sense that he's like a proven sixth man of the year type spark plug, but in a smaller role, he is a bit of a spark plug who has shown the ability to hit a pull-up three um, and can also dribble enough to like get assists for some of his teammates. Um, so I think that's the sort of thing that you're looking for at this point. He's probably my favorite name still on the market um, and the closest thing to, to fulfilling what the Suns bench still needs. If they don't go with him, now that they just picked up Damian Jones, uh, they kind of fulfilled their backup center requirement. Um, knowing James Jones, I have a feeling he might just want like another shooter. Um, like he might just pick up like an Atuan Moore uh, or a Bryn Forbes kind of Bryn guy. Bryn Forbes like just is a, gone now. Uh, oh, is he? Mm-hmm. He went to Milwaukee. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, like an Atuan Moore kind of type, like a guy yeah. who can just shoot close to 40% from three and maybe he doesn't give you anything else. But like I could see James Jones going that route, like just yeah. another shooting guard. I was disappointed that Jeff Teague went to Boston. I still think that would have been a good fit uh, just as a guy who is a veteran that could fill that role at a cheap deal. I'll be honest, I look at all the guys left, even Jordan McRae, who I like, and Jordan McLaughlin, who I think will make more than we have. And I just think I'm not convinced that they're going to be better than Cameron Payne. And I know uh, that we're not sure what Cameron Payne's going to be. But I think the best option would be to retain that BAE at this point and go into the season with it as an open spot in case some sort of guy shakes out off of another team uh, is bought out and then you have the opportunity to have that advantage of signing them at more than a vet minimum. Uh, so that's kind of how I'm looking at it at this point. If you're trying to hold on to something, because I just, I'm not, I don't like any of them. I'll be honest. There Jeff is T- one more option. Yeah. There is, is one it? more option. Mm-hmm. You brought him up last night. Who's that? Oh, Who Shaq Harrison. Oh Shaq my God. Harrison, baby. There, if you want to look, I don't think Shaq Harrison is a James Jones type of player, and that's because he he can't shoot. But he, I mean, he's essentially Javon Carter's heart and hustle, but with like just much better physical features. Yeah. Like he's just stronger. and probably a vet minimum. Actually, you, you probably don't have to use the BAE on him. I would gladly. This should not surprise anyone who's familiar <laughs> with my brands, but I would I would love Shaq Harrison on the vet minimum. I don't even know if he fulfills a need because we already have so many grit and hustle guys. But it's like. It's kind of like what you were just talking about, like accountability. Why not just like you need to fill these roster spots anyway. The Suns still have like three open roster spots. Why not grab another guy like Shaq Harrison, who's essentially another Javon Carter. And if there's any night where anyone in the rotation, whether it be Jay Crowder or Cameron Johnson or even Mikhail Bridges, like someone you wouldn't expect it from. If there's a night where they're being lazy, you just throw Javon Carter or Shaq Harrison out there um, and just and just go after it. Um, I think that would be great for, for team culture. I love it. Why not? Yeah, Why I not? love it. I don't you know, hate like it. Like at, at this point, if you're not, you know, if you're not going to get the third guard that you really want, yeah. you know, like the, you know, the Jordan Clarkson type or, or, or someone who could really be like a, a good scoring third guard yeah. um, or like a Luke Kennard or whatever. 
why not just have yeah. Shaq Harrison and, just, and call it a day? Just force Devin Booker and Cameron Johnson and everyone to go against I mean, Shaq Harrison in practice. That would literally, it would, li- and that's basically what they're building. What what James Jones is basically building at this point is a roster where he's saying, you know what, Devin Booker, we know you're not that good of a defender still in in year five, and that's okay. We're gonna make sure that you're the only bad defender on the entire roster. Um, and that every day in practice, you have to go up against some of the toughest motherfuckers in the entire league. <laughs> yeah. um, that's basically what this is, because like the 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 Suns roster currently as it stands, I mean, there are guys who you have questions about. Cam Johnson, his hips are not like the most mobile. Um, Jalen Smith, I think a great defender if they play him at the five. I think if they decide to play him at the four, definitely some questions about that. But other than that sort of stuff, like Devin Booker's the only bad defender on this roster at this point, I think. Yeah, I I think I I actually agree with that, and that's actually pretty fascinating and a point that I hadn't even thought of. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think yeah, because you can you can point at enough from Cameron Johnson at this point where you can't really say that he is Dario. I think at the power forward struggled a little bit, uh, but if he continues to play spot minutes at the center, I think he's a plus defender there too. Uh, a fascinating team, and if you, if you think you're excited now after this part of the podcast, wait till you hear from our friends from the uncontested podcast who are coming up after this break, because they're going to break down exactly what it was like to cheer for a Chris Paul team. And I think you guys will be very, very, very excited. We'll be right back. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash blue wire this is their best offer available anywhere go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire offer valid through december 31st terms and conditions apply football is back in full swing you might not be at the game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts. 
All right, very excited to be joined by our friends from the uncontested podcast of OKC Podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, Taylor Peterson and Jacob Niffin. Guys, how's it going? What's up, fellas? Yeah, thanks fellas. so much for having us. <laughs> oh. That was not planned, up, so, so up props to, to Taylor right I've been, there. I've been paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> up to date on our memes. Uh, I wanted. To have we wanted to have you guys on because I think um, as we were talking about before we started recording, I think that we all know as Suns fans, as NBA fans, we all know who Chris Paul is. He's been in the NBA a really long time. We've seen him perform year after year in the playoffs. But I think what we want to know is what he's like now. Now I'm not going to say that a lot of people didn't watch that OKC team, but fans of teams generally just watch their team and then you know, try to catch teams they missed in the playoffs, maybe catch a few games here and there during the regular season. So I'm guessing a lot of Suns fans really didn't watch a ton of OKC games last season with Chris Paul on the team. So I just wanted to cover that with you guys. And uh, Taylor, let's start with you. I just want to ask you, what was your initial reaction? And I know this is, <laughs> this is probably like a more of a personal thing because of how the trade went down and, and the guy, the right, guy, right. The, what the guy that left OKC meant to you guys. But what was your initial reaction when, when Chris <laughs> Paul was traded to the Thunder? So it's, it's hilarious. Uh, if anybody has a time, I hi- we highly encourage uh, listeners to go back and try and find our, our Chris Paul, uh, Russell Westbrook trade from, I guess, goodness, almost a year and like three months ago now, which seems wild. Uh, shoot, maybe even longer than that. But, we were not happy. Uh, you know, we had been, <laughs> to say the very least, we'd been competing against Chris Paul um, all the way back. You know, back during his Clipper days, um, the Russell Westbrook uh, versus Chris Paul uh, rivalry basically kind of stemmed from that. And then he goes over to the Rockets, and it just intensifies. Um, obviously, all the stuff on the court, we just uh, weren't huge fans. He also kind of, you know, there's all the talk about the locker room trouble. And we were just like, wow, you know, Chris Paul's going to get here. He's going to be really mad and upset. The Thunder looking to tank and rebuild. And, uh, I mean, it, we weren't excited. Uh, and it was about this time last year, probably even a little earlier now, because we're in late November, but probably towards the beginning of the early November last year, where we were like, wait a minute, <laughs> this guy's kind of cool. And he's he's playing some of his best basketball he has in the, since really before his hamstring injury. And um, he's getting really, he's getting along really well with the young guys. And uh, this might actually be something. So it was about this time last year that it, he really kind of started to change our perceptives and we couldn't have been more wrong from our initial reactions. Jacob, you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you go back, I, I said, quote, don't even let Chris Paul in my city. Ship him out. <laughs> Give me the Miami package. I don't care. I, I mean, my experience with Chris Paul was, was the antics on the court. You know, not even his play, but... Um, the the flopping, the complaining to refs. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like, man, if he treats Steven Adams like he treated DeAndre Jordan, you guys remember that play where he's like screaming at oh, him yeah. and pointing at I was like, that's not going to fly in OKC. I don't want that. And I look like a damn idiot now. Like my my <laughs> perspective on him changed so dramatically that he's he's one of my favorite guys that's ever come through Oklahoma City and played basketball here. Absolutely. And, wow. and he was only here one year. Wow, and you grew to love the antics too. All, oh, all parts of him, dude. Whenever the antics are on your team, you love it. You love it. Yeah, so like, exactly. The, the untucked That's, jersey, yeah. the untucked jersey oh, like, in that Minnesota that was so game funny. that led to the the Hail Mary by Stephen and, and Schroeder. 
Love oh, it. Uh, Love yeah. it. Fun stuff. It's one of those things where like, you know, if Patrick Beverly is playing against you, like you hate the crap out of that guy. But whenever he's on your team, you love him. It's like same thing with Draymond Green. Same thing with Chris Paul. Whenever, whenever the antics are for the benefit of your team, it's pretty entertaining. You know, I think what's interesting about Chris Paul, first of all, it, it sure seemed like Chris Paul made that team a five seed. Now, it's not to say that there are, were not other good players on the Thunder. Obviously, there were other good players. Steven Adams, Shea. Uh, Dennis Schroeder were all good players. Uh, Lou Dort. You guys know I love Lou Dort. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because he got to that team and it just made them infinitely better. But when you look at Chris Paul's stats, first of all, he played 70 games, which surprised me when I first looked at yep. it. Uh, but 17 points a game. And then his assists, you think it's going to be like 11 or something, right? When you think about how good they are. But 6.7 assists. It's not like eye-popping. Uh, assist numbers the Devin Booker assist numbers basically that's kind of what he averages and then the percentages are good you know Chris Paul uh, as much of a shooter as he is is more of a mid-range shooter than a three-point bomber like he's not shooting eight three-point attempts 40 percent right a game yeah right (laughs) what is it that he brought to the team that maybe you don't see in those stats that made you guys that good so that's a really good transition um, and something that's really interesting, something that we kind of picked up on, uh, particularly during some, you know, the Thunder had one, uh, however many games in the clutch, the most in the league. Yeah. Uh, and we started calling him Clutch Paul. And speaking on the, the stats, they don't seem as high as, they, as you maybe would think. Um, a lot of that is because it, it's really interesting. He's such a high IQ basketball player, which isn't a surprise to anyone um, who, who's obviously watched him for a long time in the league now. But it was almost like he used those first three quarters to kind of get a feel uh, for the game and read the defense, see what they were giving him. And then the fourth quarter would happen and all hell would just break loose and he would just pick apart the defenses and go to those spots that he had analyzed for the, you know, analyzing the game for the first three quarters. It was incredible. And that's kind of where you saw the Clutch Paul uh, thing happen in, in the clutch because he would just start to go to those spots that he had realized <laughs> that the defense was giving right. him. Uh, but that also allowed guys, like you mentioned, uh, Shea and and Shooter, um, Gallo, guys like that really to to get involved early. And uh, it, it helped free them up as well in the fourth quarter. So that three-guard lineup was really, really good in the clutch because, you know, Chris Paul uh, would, would go to his spots and start being a little more aggressive, and that frees uh, Shea and, and Shooter up more. So that was something that we picked up on that was really interesting, was just how he analyzed the game throughout the game, right? Um, mm. it, it was really incredible. Yeah, and, and to that point, you know, you mentioned Chris Paul's assist numbers and they're not eye-popping. There's two ways to read into that. Way one is like, oh, like, what is he doing then? Because if he's not scoring a whole lot leading the team in scoring and he's not leading the team in assisting, like, is he really, like, contributing that much? The thing was, the Thunder were one of the, I think, the top seven or eight teams in passes per game last season. Uh, but I think in the bottom 10 in assists. And the reason for that was whenever they play that three-guard lineup, they would move the ball to find the mismatch and then let whoever had the mismatch go to work. Go to work. And, and yep. the other aspect <laughs> was Chris Paul didn't dominate the ball. He played with Schroeder. He played with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He played with Danilo Gallinari. And he was willing to get off the ball, play off ball, kind of quarterback without the ball in his hands, which I think that's going to translate incredibly well as he moves over to Phoenix. My like conventional thinking was always Chris Paul is going to have the ball in his hands at all points in time. He's going to dictate everything. 
he likes to get off the ball. He likes to, to get off it early in, in the possession and move and cut and direct traffic. And I think that that is going to work so well next to Devin Booker. Devin Booker. Those two so are going to be able to, to flip-flop possessions on who's running the offense, who's playing off ball. And I think this, the fit is going to be seamless. Music to my ears, yeah. uh, just what you guys are saying. <laughs> and, and possibly another point of contrast you can see between Chris Paul and um, James Harden and maybe why things didn't work out so well there. Um, exactly. <laughs> I want to talk about, look, everyone knows Chris Paul is a veteran, obviously. Um, I know you guys were angry when he first was coming to the OKC locker room, but presumably even then you expected some level of maybe leadership. Um, can, can you just speak to that a little bit? Uh, what specifically did he do to kind of set the tone in the locker room and serve as, as such a mentor for these young players and, and obviously lead them to success on the court as well? Um, are there any certain players that he took under his wing um, in particular that you can speak to also? Yeah, so oh, yeah. so it's it's kind of well noted. I was going to say, I'm going to let Jacob take this because he, he's... Puts, he does really well. He uh, he's huge on Chris Paul's leadership. Yeah, he he really. It's kind of well noted that he took Shea Gilgis Alexander and Darius Baisley under his wing. I mean, he and Shea would go out to dinner. Chris didn't move his family to OKC. His family's still in LA, so Shea would right. be over at Chris's house. From from what we understand, what we know, like almost every night they'd be watching basketball games. They'd be watching film. They'd be having dinner together. Um, Chris would put. Shay and Baisley on private jets and fly them out a day early with him out to their games in LA uh, to spend time out there. There was a game where Chris bought every single player on the Thunder custom fitted suits and had everybody dress up and like come to come yeah. to work like professionally, which for Steven Adams was absolutely hilarious. The dude that wears camo <laughs> jackets, uh, jorts and, and flip flops, you know, yeah. um, so so that part of his leadership uh, on the court, whenever the Thunder came down to the bubble and I watched Shea play in the bubble, I said, man, you can tell this kid has spent a year with Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. You Just the reads, what he's doing, how he's operating the pick and roll, you can see it. So not only like on court, but the, the off-court leadership as well. One of my favorite stories from the year um, over this past season, I covered the OKC Blue, the G League team. And almost every game I went to, whenever the Thunder were in town, they weren't on the road, uh, Chris and Shea would show up and sit courtside and watch, and watch the Blue yep. and hang out. And wow. one game in particular, they were hanging out. I, I was over on, uh, on the press row all by myself because nobody covers the G League. <laughs> <laughs> and like I'm, I'm sneaking, like, no, not really sneaking. Like That sounds kind of creeper-ish. But I'm snapping pictures of those two on the court and like tweeting them out like, yo, Chris and Shay just walked in the building. They're hanging out. And at halftime, uh, Chris turns around and looks up in the crowd. Uh, and it's a G League game, so it's not a big crowd. And he points out uh, up somewhere. And then he, he leans over and talks to his bodyguard. And his bodyguard walked up into the stands uh, and finds uh, this, this little boy, probably like seven or eight years old, uh, talks to the kid's parent and then brings the kid down courtside and sits him next to Chris and Shea. And for like the 20-minute halftime and then like 10 minutes into the third quarter, Chris just sat there and like hung out with this 8-year-old kid and like never took his attention off this kid and talked to him and just hung out with him. And I was just like, man, like this guy isn't, he's not shaping like Shea to be like 
a basketball player. Like this is just a genuinely good dude who is an incredible leader. He's the kind of guy that if he would run for public office, I would vote for him in a heartbeat. His leadership right. is 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 palpable. Absolutely, and you know, <clears throat> and it was also kind of a unique perspective for us to get to have Chris during the COVID nineteen pandemic year, right? Right. Because um, as a the president of the uh, NBA NBA Players Association really got to see him uh, in that leadership role and, and how he was essentially able to save the season, uh, the huge part that he played both to get the bubble to happen and to resume the season with everything going on. Um, and also when, when um, because of other reasons, right, that the bubble almost fell apart. We got to see Chris use his leadership again there, you know, bringing in Barack Obama, um, encouraging LeBron, right. uh, kind of gathering other leaders around the league to, to keep this thing going. And, and that was really unique perspective as well. And then, like Jacob said on the court, and I'm going to completely butcher this because it's been so long, um, but there was a quote that I believe Shea had, and he was just talking about, um, I think it was on the defensive end, and how, um, he, like, on, on a read, if a ball handler had the ball, not to, and you're guarding off ball, basically, what, what, uh, how you should be reading that, right? He was talking about, like, you know, you need to be paying, and again, I'm going to butcher this because it's been so long, but... Um, it was just something incredibly unique that just like the, the everyday NBA fan or even us, you know, who cover the team, mm-hmm. you just don't realize uh, it, only Chris Paul can realize. That's what makes him so great. And for him to be able to pass that knowledge down to guys like Shea and Baisley and others, it's just complete. I mean, it was just invaluable. And uh, I think like you guys said, he's going to do wonders for Devin Booker, Aiton and, and all the young guys. And then you surround him with vets like Crowder. It's going to be a really fun season for Suns fans. That's all really fascinating. That's a great story too, Jacob, about him bringing that kid down to sit with him. That's really interesting. And, and it shows the type of leadership sort of off the court too. And it's actually kind of interesting because Devin Booker, we always uh, try to sort of make comparisons with his game because I think he was scouted so incorrectly coming out of college as far as what he was going to be. And I actually think his game is like closer to Chris Paul than a lot of other players because of their ability to, first of all, be three-level scorers and pass and operate within the pick and roll. So that type of mentorship and that type of leadership is only going to reinforce that. It's only going to make it better. But, you know, we, we did bring up the DeAndre Jordan thing, right? And I think Suns fans are, yep. what, there's, there's something that Suns fans are worried about. And what they're worried about is that Chris Paul is going to eat DeAndre Ayton alive, basically. <laughs> And it's because whip him into shape. Yeah, I, uh, Sam, I completely agree. Yeah. I think this is completely overblown, and I have maintained since the beginning that Chris Paul will only be good for DeAndre Ayton for uh, multiple reasons. One, I think Chris Paul will understand that DeAndre Ayton is still young. This will be his third year in the NBA, and I think he will treat him with that kind of expectation. I don't think he's going to immediately treat him like he should be an All Star right away. Which, by the way, maybe he could be. Uh, assuming they play well enough. Uh, but, I mean, we all, I think part of it is just because that clip of him screaming at DeAndre Jordan went viral. By the way, DeAndre Jordan deserved that. I, I hate to bring this up. <laughs> That's the other thing, too. It's a good point. Like, Very good DeAndre, point. <laughs> DeAndre Jordan lost the game with that play. Uh, it was incredibly stupid. Sometimes you deserve to be yelled at. But, and Chris Paul is an ultimate competitor yeah. too. I mean, that's why he wanted not. I shouldn't say won it off uh, this OKC team. Um, you know, he again just was so great given the situation, and I think he kind of realized the direction OKC was headed. Um, but that's why he chose like a team like Phoenix because he he knows you guys. He can has win. to know. He has to understand the situation. But having said that, 
his relationship with the players, it seems like you guys are really an advocate for what he was and what he was able to bring for the team. Did you, but there's still this expectation of sort of a prickliness uh, that comes with Chris Paul. And obviously he gets on the other team's nerves, but was there any sort of indication that there was anything happening between him and his teammates? Or was it just always, always good? Even him and Steven Adams, which I can't imagine anyone who's on a team with Steven Adams not getting along with Steven Adams, for the record. Uh, he seems like a great guy. Uh, but was there anything that happened throughout the season that you guys gave you guys any sort of impression that maybe he could get on his teammates' nerves at all? That That's another interesting question. So not that I can recall... But and I I could go on and on and on about the the idea of just leadership in general, but for Chris in particular, um, I don't think there was times where he got on his teammates' nerves. But I think at all times he holds his teammates to an incredibly high standard and holds them accountable. And that's yes, going to happen that's with him and DeAndre Jordan, or sorry, DeAndre Ayton, not DeAndre Jordan. Uh, mm-hmm. That's going to happen with him and him and Ayton. And so if you see him like getting onto Aiton or like on the court or on the sideline or whatever, like, I don't know. In in my mind, getting onto somebody isn't like a negative thing. He's instilling a, a, a culture of accountability uh, and keeping people in check and making sure that you're doing your job and you're on the right track and you're contributing to the, the bigger aspect of the team. Uh, I, from what I understand, and, and again, I don't watch a ton of Phoenix basketball, but I do know a little bit about Monty Williams, and he definitely has that kind of mindset and that idea. I think bringing in Chris is only going to strengthen that. Uh, so I can't remember any certain times where there was uh, like any sort of like rumored beef or feuds or anything in the locker room or people like angry at Chris Paul, but he's going to hold guys accountable. He's going to call them out when they're not doing their job. Uh, and, and Sometimes people that rubs people the wrong way, but you know what? Sometimes you need to rub people the wrong way to build that yeah. culture. Yeah, and I think that's why it works so well in OKC, right? You know, he was the the vet, the multi-time All Star, the future Hall of Famer who was coming into a very young team. Uh, or you know, in, in the cases of of the Thunder, you had guys like a Dennis Schroeder who still was on kind of unproven, uh, still kind of trying to pave his way, and you know, ends up becoming arguably. Probably should have been the sixth man of the year, uh, and our right. bias being right. I agree, <laughs> but it's not biased. So Montrez Harold yeah, right, didn't deserve yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Right. right. So uh, I, I think a lot of players uh, in OKC were were open to that. They wanted that. Um, they were willing to absorb and just take all of it in. Where he probably butted heads with James because James Harden uh, also wanted that role in Houston. Maybe he didn't sit so well with him. He's like, wait a minute, I'm also a multi-time All Star, right. uh, Hall of Fame, right. a future Hall of Famer in my peak. Um, so maybe you could see them butting heads, and, and that's why it didn't happen in, in OKC. But the, the other thing, too, for you know Suns fans maybe who are a little uh, anxious due to um, Chris's leadership back when he was in L.A., he's grown since then as a leader and a player as well. And, Jake, I think that's a really good point, uh, the Monty factor there, uh, that kind of that co-leadership will be really interesting and, I, and, in my opinion, fun to watch. I think it's going to be great for the Phoenix Suns team. I do have one more on-court question for you guys because i think everything you're saying about leadership and mentorship it's it's amazing um and it's encouraging to know that he's grown as a leader over the years my question is kind of about how that's offset with a decline in athleticism so i want to turn it back over quickly to to on-court stuff um i think we know what chris paul brings offensively he's like a three level score maybe a two level score you could say if his 
finishing has slipped a little bit. Um, defensively, what were your guys' opinions on um, both just his on-court talent, his athleticism, and, and kind of to what extent that slipped over the years um, in, in how well he played defensively for you guys, also like how vocal he was and, and, and sort of stuff like that. So what was your overall impression of, of Chris Paul's defense and, and maybe compared to what it was five years ago when he was on the Clippers and in his athletic prime? So That's a really good question. Yeah, take it, Taylor. I I think in my opinion we well first of all there's a reason that that three guard lineup uh, was the the best clutch lineup in the NBA um, and also I guess like the highest net rating in the NBA as well and that's because the the three guards are able to make that defense work right obviously some of that isn't just due to Chris Paul you have guys like Dennis Shooter who really improved their defensive game and Shea who's just incredibly versatile so that helps however uh, a lot of that is because of Chris and the intensity that he brings um, especially in close games like that. And so while he may not be quite as quick in a, you know, like at the peak of his athleticism like he was in the past, he still brings that same intensity. And like we, we keep mentioning when it, when it comes to his play on the court, he's such a high IQ player. Um, he just sees the game in a completely different way that you know, I can never. <laughs> I wish I could. Or, and quite honestly, a lot of NBA players as well are, are unable to. That's what makes Chris so great both as a point guard, but also on the defensive end. Again, I really wish I had that quote that I mentioned earlier because it was so great <laughs> um, and, and so applicable here. But just the way he's able to read uh, read the game at such a high level really translate to, translates to the defensive end as well. Um, and he just, I mean, we talked about his leadership. He's going to, uh, he's going to up the, his, his teammates' defensive efforts as well. So, um, you know, I don't really have specific examples here. Jake might have better specific examples, but... Uh, all I will say is there there is a reason that that three guard lineup worked so well and and had such a such great ratings across the mm-hmm. board and it's because of the defensive efforts that those three three guards were able to to implement. Yeah, and I, I would I would echo that and I would also say, you know, obviously his athleticism has gone down, but he to me he's a crafty defender. Uh, gets a lot of steals. He he knows tendencies really 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 well, and so he's less of a. Um, like a Lou Dort style defender who is just built like a damn truck and can move his feet like he shouldn't yeah. be allowed to, like a human that big should not be able to move their feet that fast. He doesn't have those athletic traits. Uh, you know, he's not going to block shots, but he's the kind of defender that like he's pesky, he's strong, and he's he just knows tendencies really well to like pickpocket, right? Uh, to to hedge on pick and rolls, to to know uh, when to go under, when to go over plays really well within the scheme. And I think, you know, yes, his his defense isn't as good as what it used to be. But in Oklahoma City, he had, you know, Lou Dort to throw on, on, the, on the best perimeter defender. And then he could take, like, the lesser guy. It's going to be the same thing in Phoenix. I mean, you guys have Mikael Bridges and, and Jay Crowder uh, to really take on those heavy assignments. And then Chris kind of falls into the back and can almost be like that defensive quarterback uh, calling out coverages and schemes and and switches, uh, but still a very effective defender. I mean, there were times where he got switched onto like a James Harden or a Trey Young and really held his right. own still. Uh, and I think even though he's lost a bit of a step and he can't like move laterally and and up and down as quick as he used to, that's where it's offset with with just. I guess really like just watching film and knowing what other players do and, and what they're going to do and understanding those things at such an intricate level. Uh, yeah. And that's a good point about the team personnel around them also mm-hmm. uh, with Bridges and Crowder. It's going to be uh, a really fun line, defensive lineup. It's just fun to hear you guys say 
bridges in Crowder. I'll be honest. Yeah. We, it's not we haven't had a lot of opportunities. So getting used to it to yeah, hear that. Right. So that's just fun to hear. Uh, it's interesting. I think one of the most underrated aspects of defense is just having played guys a bunch of times. And and what I mean by that is you just start to understand what they're going to do in specific situations. And Chris Paul, having been around for so long and being sort of the basketball genius that he is, I think you guys are right. I think he brings the kind of experience and basketball IQ that will not only make him a good defender, but also make the other guys around him a good defender. But he, he can tell you, hey, when James Harden is in this situation, he's going to do this or things like that. And I think that matters a lot because, first of all, Devin Booker tweeted in 2013, I just got my invite to Chris Paul's camp. I'm excited to go. He was a teenager, cool. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so what what I think that is, is what that shows is these guys are all going to respect a legend. And I think what we saw in OKC is the accountability that comes with playing with the legend because now part of their legacy is on your shoulders as well. Yeah, DeAndre Ayton doesn't want to be the guy who's known for having fucked up CP3's exactly. legacy. Yeah, exactly. And I think that matters a lot. And so I, you know, I, I definitely agree with what you guys said about his defense there. I think we brought up I brought up that he played 70 games last season in a 72 game season, which I think is pretty incredible for a guy that turned 35 in the middle of that season he appears to be taking care of his body in the way that the sort of legends are meant to do right now like Steve Nash very famously gave up all sugar uh, when he was in his 30s and that allowed him to extend his career almost into his 40s he basically broke down right when he turned 40 right Uh, LeBron James is uh a medical miracle, obviously, but he does take <laughs> care of his body in the way that uh, you would want somebody in their 30s to take care of their body. Uh, I imagine it surprised you guys that he played 70 games. I Oh, yeah, I, I, absolutely. It would surprise me, I think, if he played 70 of the 72 games this season going forward. That was kind of like, that was kind of when we started, tra- I talked about the transition from like, gosh, get Chris Paul off my team. Can we get him to Miami to wait? I really like this guy. We might actually have something here. So when that transition kind of happened on our podcast, then we started talking about like, wait a minute, we need him to stay healthy. Yeah, because you're going to make the playoffs, right? Yeah. Right. Is it true that he's a vegan now? Yep. He is plant-based. Full vegan diet. Yeah, you just talked about um, Steve Nash giving up sugar. You talked about Chris Paul going vegan. This is why I'm not in the NBA, guys. <laughs> yeah, and you're in OKC. You got to get that barbecue. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I would... Right. Uh, you know, I'd I'd be starting at the at the two in the league if uh, if it wasn't for sugar and meat. You know, yeah. Did Thunder fans just pretend like he wasn't vegan? <laughs> I can't imagine that plays well in OKC. Yeah, uh, with, a, yeah, with Stephen Adams. He has a Stephen Adams literally has a commercial uh, or had a commercial smashing steaks, talking about beef. Yeah, he was for part like of the a, OK uh, the Oklahoma Beef Council. We have a beef that's council. What it was. And then, meanwhile, vegan Chris Paul rolls in. I can tell you, as somebody who's engaged to a vegan. Uh, not many options in Oklahoma City. <laughs> I bet. That is true. That's very true. It's actually now, not that bad uh, just, Phoenix, I mean, so let's see if he does better. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> now, not to like just keep harping on Chris Paul's leadership, because uh, like you said, guys said, maybe <laughs> the most important uh, thing is, is his play on the court. And staying and his on His health it, yeah. is going to be huge in that. But one thing that was interesting as well is he like, uh, there's multiple times where he brought in like vegan uh, companies or like vegan food trucks and kind of, uh, you know, for his teammates to try and say, look, this isn't all that bad. Uh, Jacob, was it Dre? Um, obviously, Dre, Andre Robertson, who, who's had a really rough uh, 
couple years trying to get back on the court from his battling injuries. But I feel like it was Dre that he converted to vegan. I think uh, so. As well. Yeah. Or plant based wow. or whatever. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah, so and we saw his, back on the court this He's season. over here spreading his vegan propaganda to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Deep state, man. In the meantime, I'm reading a Q&A that just says, because I, I had to Google Stephen Adams beef counsel after I heard <laughs> oh you say Oh my it, goodness, yes. yes. Just Stephen Adams gets his strength from sports, fans, and a good beef steak. I could, <laughs> I could just go into the rest steak. of the Q&A. But. Oh, that's Sounds incredible. like Baines, actually. Uh, maybe it's that uh, Pacific Ocean thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I think that's fascinating. Do you guys have any other insight as to what it took to keep him healthy? I mean, it didn't seem like he was resting. Did he? I mean, he actually played more minutes than Ricky Rubio. This is another thing that surprised yeah, me. That's crazy. It's not yeah. like, that's true. It's, that is it's crazy. not like he was playing 25 minutes a night in order to keep him healthy throughout the season. I mean, it's obviously he takes care of his body. I mean, there's there's an element of luck that he didn't get injured, but was there anything else that stood out to you as far as what it took to keep him healthy throughout the season? Well, he only the only two games he missed was I think uh, a game in the bubble for rest, the Kobe, and then and the Kobe yeah, Bryant Kobe game, passed. Post game. Oh wow, uh, yep. those were the only. So it wasn't like there was a you yeah. know always oh, he's, he's got a sore ankle, so he's going to sit right. out. There there was never that. That's um, insane. Yeah, and and I think having the three guard lineup kind of helped because again it. it took a lot of the responsibility of him having to be the offensive initiator and, and engaged in every single offensive possession. It kind of took that away a little bit. I mean, there were possessions where he would dribble up the court, pass to somebody, and then just kind of chill, uh, which I don't want that to sound like, oh, he's not engaged on offense. He's incredibly engaged. But having those other creators on his team allowed him to to kind of slip into the background a little bit and not have to, you know, go 110% every moment he's on the court. And for a 35-year-old guy, you, you probably don't want that anyways. And so I, I think in-season minute management, as far as like not playing him to death, uh, they did play Shea Gilgis-Alexander a lot. And rightfully so, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a 21-year-old kid. Right. So allowing him to to not have to be that guy at every minute in the game, I think was also probably uh, right. a That's factor That's a really there. good point. Yeah, very good point. point I was going to say, I don't then, think there's right? anything, like LeBron, you hear about like his cryo chambers right. and like all that craziness. Like <laughs> yeah. we never heard anything like that from Chris Paul. Just um, I think those rotations, is, that's a really good point, Jacob. Um, and I, I think he's doing the right things off the court as well. But again, there's never like any anything, like any crazy story that came out outside the whole vegan plant-based yeah. um, so. Sam, it sounds like the Suns need a third guard. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Speaking we, of that. Can we interest you in one George yeah, Hill? Speaking the, of that. For the less protections on that, that pick we got. Do, you, uh, do you happen to like Eli Okobo, <laughs> a, a French point guard hey, who couldn't even make the French national team? <laughs> at this point, we just need bodies. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> I've tried so many ways to work it out. And without it, barring any sort of sign-in trade with Saric or... Baines, which I don't really want to do. I think we're going to keep yeah, Sarge. I don't think fair. we're going to keep Baines. I just don't see any reason why he would want to play in OKC. No offense. Yeah. I think you guys know yeah, the state right, of your right. team. Uh, he wants to compete. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I don't know if there's a third team that lose. can get involved. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If there's, I said it before. If the Suns find a way to get George Hill, I'm I'm betting on Devin Booker MVP. Look, I'm just gonna get that money in there right away, just in case. It's that's right. Uh, it's hammer it. It's plus four thousand right Hammered. now. It's plus four thousand. <laughs> yeah, bet online. 
promo code blue wire uh, you guys know how it works uh i'm gonna go on there i'm gonna hammer it look like if ten dollars turns into 400 mm, let's see what i could put in there just i i, I like it i'm, I'm all just in. test yeah, it that's right um i if you guys think of a if you guys think of a creative way uh, to to send George Hill to the Phoenix Suns, I would love that. Sam, do you got anything else Ooh. for them before we let them go? <laughs> no, I think we basically covered it. We talked uh, on court leadership. We talked off court leadership. We talked a little bit about beef. Um, I would say yeah. about yeah. Aaron Baines going to OKC. <laughs> Someone's got to fill that Stephen Adams beef niche. You guys got no, that is fair. Yeah, that might that might barbecue. help fill the uh, Stephen Stephen Adams size hole we have in all of our hearts. Right, right yeah, now. there you yeah, go. Absolutely. I don't know how how much any of these Eastern Europeans we drafted are are into beef. So yeah. we definitely need to fill that role. <laughs> yeah, we have Pokushevsky who seven foot two and like one hundred twenty pounds. Maybe he does need to be part of the beef council. <laughs> Uh, I think that kid needs to get, get about sixty pounds. Get some beef into Poku. Up. Hey, speaking. No, of- I will say quickly. I we, we I was you know obviously we're we're going through the reposition right now, so we can go and get our Kay Cunninghams and Amani Bates. Yeah. But I was kind of excited about uh Kelly coming over yeah. with Shay and seeing them in Converse yeah. and all their style. It would have been a lot of fun. They would have gotten along. Oh, uh, he's. Along really he, oh, we he had would make a for, bad for team a more fun. There, you know, yeah, he makes for, bad for teams. a moment there after that trade went through. The Thunder had Shay. They had Kelly, they had Ricky, oh, man. and they had Steven. And I said, style. man, the, the pregnancy rate in Oklahoma City is about to go through the, <laughs> the damn style. roof. The, the style. The sexiest yeah. team in the league. Yeah. <laughs> what could have been? Now we have what Pokushevsky and his fanny pack. So maybe, maybe the... We had James Johnson at one point, too. Yeah. And just like, it went, it was like night and day. Speaking of beef, <laughs> speaking of beef, uh, is there anything that... Do you guys? Did you guys all of a sudden hate the Warriors a little bit more, or hate the Rockets a little bit more when Chris Paul was on your team, just because of the long-standing beef that he has now with James Harden and had with the Warriors? Obviously, an interesting season for the Warriors, but yeah, is there anything different about cheering for a Chris Paul team that we need to be warned about before he's here? Well, oh. I mean, you're talking to two guys that cover the Thunder. Uh, yeah, who we already the, the, hated Warriors the Warriors kicked our favorite center in the penis. <laughs> right. There was no additional oh, that's right. games, and then and you the probably Rockets, don't like. Yeah, the Rockets. The yeah. Rockets tore Russ's meniscus. Uh, so and took and we, took James Harden. Yeah, yeah, we we didn't yeah. need any yeah. help hating those two teams. We had we had those bases covered. I just I'm silly bad, of yeah. us to forget that you actually had a good team this decade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's we don't know what it's no, like to say, beef we, with uh, good teams. We're gonna learn. You will be kind of surprised on, on how your stance of on flopping changes. <laughs> oh, that wasn't a flop. Yeah, that, that was, was a great <laughs> high IQ basketball play. Hey, uh, we're just hoping Chris <laughs> Paul actually gets Devin Booker's the calls that he actually deserves. Yeah, <laughs> that is so true. That's a great point. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, go listen to the Uncontested Podcast. These guys are obviously great. You've heard them on this podcast before. Um, blue wire bros as laz calls us now (laughs) we're all blue wire bros now i love it uh do you guys have anything else that you'd like to plug before we go keep care keep good care of chris paul we love that dude and you guys are going to fall in love with him your listeners are going to fall in love with him even if they're saying they don't love him now uh give it till about new year's and they're going to say holy shit this guy is incredible i can't wait to to watch (laughs) the rest of this season wait wait wait. before you guys go before you guys go abdul nader Oh yeah, something. Ooh, that's right. Point. Is he, he keeps we, getting forgotten about. Do you guy. like guys that have uh, that are never afraid to shoot the ball and are going to jack it up every time they touch it? That sounds great. That's I mean, sometimes Nader. that, that, that great, that's also, Abdul Nader. Uh, He's also, I think, when he drives to the basket, he closes his eyes. 
Yeah, it, it, it's the most. <laughs> it, it's a 50 50 chance that he's either going to turn the ball over or it's going to like miraculously just, like post the ball to go somebody, in yeah. somehow. So I'm pretty sure he closes his eyes and he tries. tries. He's the opposite think, of Kelly Oubre, uh, is what one, you're saying. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally. It's he, He's not one to pass the ball. Um, however, there were some games this season that he won for us because he just hit a random three-pointer that we didn't think was going to go in. I'll so, take uh, it. I, he's I not keep bad. not factoring him into the, our wing depth, but he's, I think yeah, he's going to get I, minutes. So We called him... He will get some. Taylor and I called him Nosedive Nader because he would just nosedive, nosedive Nader. To, the, to the rim <laughs> like every possession. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. It'll be I think he'll have a similar role in Phoenix that he did in OKC, where he's not getting regular playing time, but situational playing time probably. Yeah, right. That should exactly. be interesting. I I wish I could say take care of Jalen Lequeux and uh, Ty Jerome, but I have no <laughs> idea who's going to be on your team in the next few days. So. You're preaching to the choir, man. <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens, guys. Good luck We're, this season, yep. and thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys. Hey, thanks for having us. to six for Chris Paul. The three coming and falling. He is doubtful to return for the last two minutes and 15 seconds of this game. Wow. Chris Paul! Butter! Chris Paul! Shea Alexander for the three-point critical shot under duress of this shot clock. Come on, come on. Come on! And it's especially sweet against a former teammate in Austin Rivers. Houston locked in on their pick and roll defense. Everyone getting to the paint. Paul for three. Oh, a big shot for Chris Paul. Covington on Paul. Paul's had a big half as well. Played a ton of minutes. Now another three-pointer is up. Oh, Chris Paul. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.